0: News, weather, traffic, money,
1: politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi.
2: Now is not the time to travel. That is the message from the federal government and Prime Minister Trudeau, and it's all because of the Omicron variant, which is continuing to spread fast. For more on what the feds are saying, joining us now, Abigail Beeman, our global news political journalist in Ottawa. Good morning, Abigail. Good morning. Okay, so what exactly is the advisory here from the federal government?
1: Yeah, so this is an advisory against non-essential international travel. So it's not talking about uh, domestic travel. It's talking about travel outside Canadian borders, uh, and it is an advisory. So it, it's what we had before, that that line, now is not the time to travel, will be familiar to many people. Uh, the, the government had removed that months back, and, and people had been making all sorts of Travel plans. Uh, mm-hmm. But now that advisory is back in place and it affects all countries across the globe outside of Canada.
2: Right. But they're not putting in any rules about this. They're just saying, we'd like you to do the right thing. Is that right?
1: That's right. This is a warning. This is an advisory. It has to do with Canadians being properly warned that if they were to get into trouble overseas, whether that's getting sick or getting stuck or, you know, can't get a flight back or whatever, as the, as the, as the, COVID situation changes across the globe, this is, you know, a warning from Canada that, hey, we told you you not to travel, and we may not be able to help you get back. But in terms of, you know, actual law that you can't leave the country, that's certainly not in place. I think where this affects many people who obviously on December, what are we now 16th already had their Christmas or holiday yeah. travel plans in place, the big question is insurance, if we can talk about that uh, for for a moment. And we spent a couple of hours yesterday, uh, which is in one case what it took to get through to one insurance company, but uh, we spent spent some time yesterday uh, calling around to travel agents, to insurance companies, to industry associations, uh, and really the information we got back was conflicting, so I would really strongly advise anybody who's either committed to still traveling or who is making their decision as to whether to travel, call your insurance company, whoever you have direct travel insurance with, figure out how this applies to you. Does this change? Does this change going forward? What if it's a new policy? All of those questions. Make sure you speak to your direct person, regardless of what you're hearing from one source or another, because we certainly are getting conflicting information and it it really does depend on
2: on your own company. Right. And so that's international travel. What are they Mm -hmm. saying about interprovincial or even domestic travel?
1: Yeah, not a whole lot. Um that was one of my questions to the health minister yesterday and uh Jean-Yves Duclos said really it's up to each province and territory. To this point, we have not heard uh, or I have not heard any province say, "Hey, do not come here. We don't want you here. Stay in your own province for your for your holiday. It's getting pretty close to Christmas." Um but uh obviously that that could change. That could come. Uh we could uh, we could hear that going forward. But at this point there are no advisories in terms of not traveling from from one
2: province to another. Okay, so is that could that change, though? Like, are there more rules potentially coming?
1: Yeah. So one thing that stood out to me yesterday from first the news conference and then repeated by the prime minister, he had an availability or an announcement a little later on in the afternoon. They, both the health minister and the prime minister are, seem to be warning that there's something else coming around testing and arrival testing. And the way the prime minister put it, it, it almost sounded like it was going to be harsher for people coming home in terms of test requirements. So, you know, of course, many people's minds go to quarantine, that those old quarantine rules that, that we had in place before. We have not heard anything about that mm-hmm. uh, specifically, but, but there is this sort of idea that more could be coming. And this warning that, hey, if you, if you choose to travel, you know, you don't know what you're going to meet on the way back. And I think that's a concern uh, for many people. But certainly the prime minister and the health minister both said yesterday, more news is coming around arrival testing.
2: OK, and there, there seems to be more pushback this time, though, doesn't there? Like people are saying, "Look, yeah. why are you doing this now?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I spoke with uh, or we spoke with three doctors yesterday, not a single one of them, you know, was 100% on board with this policy or said, yeah, I think this is a great idea including one doctor who said to us, this is cruel, this is unfair, this is not going to make a difference to Omicron uh, which is already here. Mm-hmm. Uh, also I think worth noting the comments from Premier Jason Kenney who spoke yesterday now he made these comments before the government made its final decision in terms of travel restrictions, but it was after the premiers and the prime minister had had a phone call uh, to talk about this and Kenny said that, that he and, and many of his premier counterparts pushed back against the idea of more travel restrictions. For a few reasons, um, but he, he said something I think a lot of Canadians are feeling, which is like, look, people went and did what they were told to do. They got vaccinated. They followed, depending where you live, a whole host of, of restrictions, you know, in your own province. And he said there's there's not public there's not public appetite for this. Like people are not going to uh, going to follow this after they have done what, what they've been told to do for months and months and months and months. Prime Minister addressed that yesterday evening in his comments. He said, I understand this sucks. Uh, but whether that's that acknowledgement is enough to have a yeah. Canadians, you know, follow what the government is telling them at this point uh, it w- remains to be seen. But certainly a lot of pushback this time around. And at the timing, I mean, you know, that that advisory was gone. People were free to to make their plans. Exactly. And then December 15th brought in 10 days before Christmas. Uh certainly a lot of pushback.
2: Okay, so this isn't the end of this, I'm sure. Abigail, thank you so much for your time.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me.
2: That's Abigail Beeman, global news political journalist in Ottawa, talking about the federal government's response. We know the BC government also backed that up. Premier John Horgan, Health Minister Adrian Dix, saying yesterday that yes, they they you know they they are siding with the federal government on this and saying they would like people to rethink their travel plans. Question is, will people actually do that? Email me on this. How about you? Would you? Simi at cknw.com. This
1: is Mornings with Simi.
2: Here's a question for you How comfortable are you with your drinking habits right now? Because maybe you thought, oh, you know, I just need a little something more to get through this pandemic. It's been so stressful, and it certainly has. But then comes this new analysis from the University of Victoria that shows. British Columbians drank more booze during the first year of the pandemic than they did in the past two decades. Between April 1st, 2020, and March 31st, 2021, provincial residents, those of us here in BC, per person over the age of 14, drank the equivalent of 547 cans of 5% beer or about 104 bottles of 12% wine. That's a lot. Let's break down more of the results of this analysis. Joining us is Dr. Tim Namy, who's a UVic physician and alcohol epidemiologist and the director of the Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research. Thank you for being with us
0: this morning. Oh, thanks for having me on and really appreciate it.
2: Did these results surprise you?
0: Well, no, because uh, actually the the per capita alcohol consumption, as you call it, the average in the population, has actually been increasing since uh, 2013 or 2014. It's gone up about eight to 10% in that time, which is a substantial increase for something that moves generally quite slowly, like alcohol. So really, no, I think what's important here is that we'd actually seen a bump at the beginning of the pandemic. Part of that was stockpiling. In the beginning, people were worried that they wouldn't be able to get alcohol. So we thought it might kind of settle back down again, but it didn't. And, and um, as you mentioned in your run-up, but uh, the, the year ending March 2021 saw the highest per capita consumption in B.C. since 2000.
2: That's a lot of alcohol. What do you think contributed to that? Like, obviously, the pandemic did. But what about the pandemic made us drink more?
0: OK, well, I get to the pandemic. But again, I think it's important for the listeners to understand. So B.C. has tends to have a high uh, alcohol consumption. It's about 10 or 12 percent higher than the rest of Canadians, Canada. Um, And then, as I mentioned, so so I'll think about this COVID as kind of a spike on top of a hill that's been going up since, you know, for the last eight years or so. And I think in the pandemic, one of the big things that happened was a very dramatic, you know, relaxation of alcohol policy. So other than closing bars, which have now kind of reopened, the rest of the the policy changes were to liberalize. So never, uh, you know, never before have British Columbians been able to obtain alcohol from so many places in so many ways at so many hours of the day and night. And I think that's a big change that's contributed in addition to some of the COVID specific things like having people having more time at home and for some people stress and for other people boredom. Um, But I I think this is partly a self, self uh, exacerbated problem.
2: Right. Accessibility. It's just so much easier to get it.
0: Yeah. And then, and as I mentioned, the, the, the kind of clampdowns on bars and restaurants, those have been pretty much lifted, but the, the kind of um, the taking off of the safeguards and the unbuckling of the seatbelt with respect to the supply of alcohol, which is really a critical driver, the, those, those have not been restored, and I'm, I'm, it doesn't seem, uh, it's not clear that they will be.
2: Right. So where is this happening? Like, I know you can check by health region. Were there some regions where there was definitely more alcohol consumption than others?
0: Yeah, well, there, you know, the, the, there there usually is. Uh, the interior had the highest per capita consumption, and um, Vancouver Island, where I'm based, um, moved up into second into second place, if you will. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> not really a prize, though, is it?
0: Hasten to Dad, these are a little bit of an artifact. These are this is all based on sales, not consumption. So. The, these differences in health areas are partly driven by where the outlets are located, and some places may do more home production than others, et cetera. But yeah, there are, there, there tends to be differences within the province, some differences within the province.
2: Okay. What kind of differences? You
0: no, know, no, just in terms of the total, the, <clears throat> in terms of the average consumption.
2: Right. Okay. So you saw some of the higher ones, like, and I noticed that Fraser Health was on the lower side. Like that. I thought that was kind of surprising.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: Fraser Health was the lowest, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. This study, unfortunately, you know, one of the this is kind of a gold standard way to measure the total consumption in the population, but doesn't help us understand why there are re- regional differences. Um, but yeah, that no, feels like
2: another study, Doctor Namie. So, like, where do you go with this research?
0: <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: Where do you go next with this research? Now that you know this, does it bring up more questions? Do you do more?
0: So some of these things I think the hopefully the 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 uh, province will use in terms of its planning like if they because the the key point is that this these measures of average consumption are go hand in glove with things like binge drinking and very heavy drinking that leads to harm. so whenever we see these changes in average consumption, we see changes in things like domestic violence and other alcohol related problems go up so so this, these data can be used, hopefully, by the by the province or by public health authorities or others for planning purposes. And um, you know, we we do this surveillance as a routine part of our work. So um, we hope it gets um, you know th- this information is used uh, you know to um, right. To-
2: you know, that's so interesting you say that then. So what you're saying is like, this is a bit of a signal here. And so we need to dig a little deeper into the other kind of perhaps societal impacts of what increased alcohol consumption means.
0: Right, we, we will find that and we will see what's going on. Um, and then we, we can always do more research on, you know, why is this happening? But again, a lot of for what we can control, we, we know that, you know, there's a saying that when you're in a hole, quit digging. So when your alcohol <laughs> numbers are going up, um, that's a signal to tighten up on the policy side. So things like introducing um, minimum pricing so that you put a put a floor on the price of the really the cheapest alcohol that p- causes disproportionate harms and restricting having new licenses because actually that degrades the value of existing licenses, but it's also good for public health. So trying to think um, sort of proactively about how to get... Um, get a hold of this.
2: Right. That's so that would be something for governments to consider, even though it feels like for the last two years, all we've done is loosen restrictions, isn't it?
0: Right. Exactly.
2: That's going to be a big challenge. Has, have other jurisdictions noticed this as well? Is this a, a BC thing or is everybody drinking more?
0: Well, I think everyone is noticing it. You know, these data, um, it's pretty good, right? These data are through the end of March. Um, and so there always takes it. Time, I think the, these you know cycles go back and forth, right? So I think, and we always lag slightly behind, right? So maybe we're behind the eight ball, and hopefully people will, um, will be will be interested to try to to try to get things back into a bit more balance.
2: Right? Were you able to determine what type of alcohol we're talking about here? Like, was it beer? Was it wine? Was it hard liquor?
0: Great question. So the the, the changes in consumption from from other work we've done are similar across beverage types, but what you would be, you know, maybe not surprised by is that we saw a big decrease in the sales, about a 40 or 50% decrease in the sale of alcohol in bars and restaurants, but that was more than offset by increases from liquor stores and particularly private liquor stores because there have been so many more private liquor stores added uh, over the recent years. So and overall, about 80 percent of alcohol that's sold in Canada is sold through liquor stores and not places where you consume it on site. So that so that increases in that kind of um, overtook the decreases in sales from bars and restaurants.
2: Okay, so is this something that you do every year?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yes, we we like to do it every year. And and the province is very good, like in terms of sharing their um, detailed alcohol consumption data with us. So, um, yeah, so so we we use that data and and generate that. And it's and actually British Columbia is really lucky because um, these measures of consumption are very actually quite hard to uh, to obtain in some places.
2: Right. So it does tell us that we have a lot of work to do, it seems like. Dr. Namey, thank you so much for your time.
0: Hey, thanks for having me and happy holidays.
2: You too. That's Dr. Tim Namy, who's a UVic physician and alcohol epidemiologist, the director of the Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research, talking about our alcohol consumption. They did a deep dive and analysis into alcohol that was consumed in BC and, well, found that we're drinking a lot. And Interior Health had the highest consumption rates. It was 13.69 liters of alcohol per capita. Second place, Island Health at 11.54 liters and the lowest consumption rate per capita was Fraser Health at 7.09 liters. That's quite a difference, right? From from the Interior Health region. So, let's talk about your alcohol consumption. Have you noticed that you've been drinking more? We did loosen up restrictions, right? Alcohol delivery, make it just everything loosened up during the pandemic. I can't see any government ever saying, oh, yeah, we're going to roll that back now. Because once you've given it to people, really hard to take that away. If I'm to weigh in, Simi at C-K-N.
0: This is Mornings with Simi. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So, optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60 day trial now at shipstation.com and use the code POD. That's shipstation.com with the code POD. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all.
2: So we've got these travel advisories we also have changes that are coming in other parts of the country anyway to restrictions for gatherings. For instance, in the province of Ontario, they are cutting the capacity for indoor events like Raptors games or Leafs games for that matter. Could that be coming for the Vancouver Canucks? Well, there was some hinting about that yesterday, so we'll let you know. But of course, this is all because of the Omicron variant of COVID-19 and trying to figure out a way to fight back against it as cases rise rapidly. Joining us now is Carly Weeks, Global Mail health reporter. Good morning, Carly. Good morning. What is the situation like in Ontario this morning? I understand that there's been quite a rise in cases there.
3: Yes, there has been, and uh, I think Ontario is kind of like the the warning for all of the other provinces right now because they've had the most Omicron activity up to this point. So at this point, cases of Omicron are... Uh, doubling every three days, uh, or even less, which is, you know, unprecedented speed. Um, every person infected with Omicron is spreading it to, you know, about four other people, uh, whereas with the Delta variant, people typically would pass it only on to one other person. So the rise is, um, you know, unlike anything we've seen yet. Um, and just even anecdotally, uh, for the first time in the pandemic, there's, um, you know, a, numerous contacts, like people are reporting all over the place, like, their family members have been affected, friends have been affected. Um, you know, this this wave is truly not like anything we've seen during this pandemic. Um, we don't quite know uh, how this is going to go or how severe you know dis- cases will be in people who are doubly vaccinated. We hope they'll be protected for the most part, um, but certainly a very big challenge ahead.
2: It certainly sounds like it. So it, what have health experts recommended in that province in terms of, you know, trying to get a control, this under control? I know some restrictions have been changed
3: right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. And there's been a a lot of change in the last couple of days, as you you hinted at, you know, reducing capacity, um, you know, in sports arenas and things like that, although still, you know, capping things at 50% still leaves, you know, many thousands of people in an indoor space sharing the same air, Um, you know, restaurants are still open and things like that. But we are seeing uh, the rollout of more booster shots. We know that those third doses of the COVID vaccine are very highly protective against this new variant. So there's been a big push to get those boosters out the door. Uh, there's more, there's calls for even more, you know, more rapid tests. They're starting to trickle out uh, up until now in many provinces, including Ontario and BC, it's really been difficult to get your hands on those. Um, you know, there's, there's calls to do much, much more, but at least we're sort of starting somewhere now.
2: Now, Carly, in your analysis, like your health reporter, you look at what's happening across the country. Does it feel like governments are just kind of throwing everything they can at this thing?
3: Not yet. (laughs) I I think that, you know, in in Ontario, you can start to see that the wheels are turning, that they're starting to realize with the numbers that we're seeing, there was, you know, almost 2,500 cases today, uh, that things are starting to get bad. So they're starting to throw things at it. But when you look across the country, it doesn't feel as though the magnitude of the situation has has sunk in yet. and, And no one really wants to acknowledge this or even, you know, of course, right? This is a bit of a nightmare scenario right around the holidays. But unfortunately, you know, it's happening. And the more you do today, the better it will be tomorrow.
2: It's a lot of catch up, though, isn't it, Carly? Because it, it is here already. And as you said, it is spreading fast.
3: It's spreading incredibly fast, unlike anything we've seen yet. So, so again, think about that. I think, um, you know, even with, with cases of Delta, I think that the doubling time was a week or well over one week uh, for cases to double. Uh, here it's, you know, two to three days. So you really... Um, to put things in place or to wait and see, you know, uh, the wait and see approach is not going to work this time. It's You're going to be so far behind and your hospitals will be filling up. So that's why there is this sort of desperate plea from healthcare workers and, and infectious disease experts to do more now to blunt the effects, you know, so basically saying, you know, mail everybody an N95 respirator mask, you know, get rapid tests out to everybody because, um, you know, this is, this is affecting people who've been doubly vaccinated and this is, they're going to be spreading it on and there will be a subset of people who get sick enough to be hospitalized
2: is there any commonality would you say against the measures that are being taken in provinces
3: Um, i think that one thing we've started to see a bit more movement on countrywide is the recognition that boosters are really key Um, you know so we have seen provinces start to expand that eligibility more and more i think though that um, that's, again, something that we're not being aggressive on. We can't boost our way out of this. And so I think, you know, the one common thread that does seem to be appearing is that, you know, there's a lot of provinces that aren't taking this seriously enough. I mean, we saw in Alberta yesterday, they're going to start giving out free tests, but they're they're letting more people meet indoors. So they're actually relaxing some rules. Um, and again, you know, no one wants to be the bearer of this bad news. But, you know, this wave is, is, is basically at our doorstep. And it's a, it's a tidal wave um, this time. And so, you know, how do you prepare for that? You know, you, you can't
2: just put up a little umbrella and hope that you're going to be okay. You really need to take lots of measures, mm-hmm. lots of actions now. Is this, can you, from what you can see then, Carly, are the cases, the problem with Omicron, is this in every province? Because we know that with Delta, it it disproportionately affected some provinces like BC and Alberta.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, what, what experts are saying, and it's still early days, um, is that this this likely will affect all parts of Canada, and that Ontario was kind of hit hardest first, uh, simply because you know maybe it's the, the number of cases that were brought in from travelers, or or who knows? Because you know we don't, we're not even quite sure where this began. You know uh, whether it started in Europe or Africa, it kind of doesn't matter. I mean, it's here and it's spreading. The presumption is that in the days and weeks ahead, other provinces will see similar rates of spread. Now you're right; there could be some areas that are that are impacted more. You know, Ontario with its big population and, and big city centers, whereas maybe some more remote rural locations will be less affected. But we're not even sure if that's the if that's the case because we have started to see uh, some rural and remote areas affected greatly uh, with case numbers in Ontario.
2: Do you sense a lot of concern from health experts and health officials that you've talked to?
3: Yes. There's a lot of concern. Um, This is, you know, no one's pressing the panic button. You know, they're saying, look, we've done this before. We can do it again. But our healthcare system will be in jeopardy this time because of the speed of this. This is happening very fast. During wave one, they're like, we had a bit of time to tinker and see what worked and what didn't. Now we're at a phase where people are tired of this. They don't want to go into a lockdown. People are simply fed up. And so we need to use every tool in the toolbox, boosters, tests, ventilation in buildings, N95s, everything to blunt this wave.
2: All right, Carly, thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me. Carly Weeks is Globe and Mail health reporter. You can read her work in the Globe and Mail newspaper talking about the approach uh, to this Omicron variant right across the country. Ontario this morning, the numbers are just, which she was saying, right, doubling every couple of days. It is unbelievable the the number of cases that they now have. It's gone from like 1,000 to 2,000 cases per day in just like 48 hours. Uh, So we're closely watching that situation here in BC. We've been told we're getting a, a new rapid test policy coming next week. There's been a lot of criticism of the provincial government for not doing more with the stockpile of rapid tests that they have. So that's apparently coming next week, according to Health Minister Adrian Dix. Uh, we, you know, Could more restrictions be coming? Could we also restrict capacity for things like Vancouver Canucks hockey games, the way they are doing for indoor you know, games and events in Ontario? We will see. There'll be, I'm sure, more updates to come today. If you want to weigh in, send me at cknw.com.
1: This is Mornings with Simi.
2: Oh boy, the situation in Surrey is a bit of a mess these days. You've got council wanting to meet in closed door sessions, but some Surrey City councillors are saying, no, they're not comfortable with doing that. They've released a statement, two of them, Jack Hondell and Brenda Locke, saying they have a concern about an excess amount of the number of closed door meetings. That statement came out right before a closed door meeting that both councillors say they were declining to attend. Why is that? Well, they're concerned that there will be some discussion perhaps about the mayor's current legal situation And that if it's discussed at a closed-door meeting, they won't be able to talk about that publicly. So what's going on here? Well, joining us now is Surrey City Councillor Jack Hundell to talk more about this. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Simi. So does Surrey, do you think, have too many closed-door meetings?
4: Uh, Absolutely. I I think in his term since since 2018 with uh, Mayor McCallum, I think we've just been subjected to way too many closed, uh, closed door meetings and for uh, the listeners that uh, don't quite know what the closed door meetings are, you have your uh, scheduled public council meetings but in closed, um, you are permitted and allowed to have closed uh, door meetings under the community charter uh, and really they are specific if you are dealing with certain issues such as uh, HR, um, Uh, finances or you're dealing with uh, you know um, selling or or procuring assets for the city Uh, but really uh, you know we have a regular scheduled council meeting coming up here on Monday December 20th Um, and this meeting was called so hastily Um, the minimum requirement is 24 hours and in this case we're given 24 hours and three minutes (laughs) to say look there's a meeting tomorrow.
2: Right and so you you said you weren't going to go so why did you feel like that?
4: Because once you're in those closed meetings, you're essentially muzzled um, because you do have an obligation on the committee charter to keep uh, um, those meetings as closed so you're not permitted to discuss the content or the decision-making process that goes on in those meetings. And certainly we know right now uh, with everything going on with the mayor and uh, this, uh, taxpayers paying the legal fees, uh, it's an opportunity or uh, potentially to, to muzzle councillors from speaking up uh, at future uh, open meetings.
2: Do you think it's right that the Surrey City taxpayers will be paying for potentially paying these legal fees?
4: Uh, well, they are paying the legal fees. That's been confirmed by the city already. So uh, do I think it's fair? Absolutely not. Uh, you know, when I look at the rationale behind uh, the public tax dollars being paid for uh, to defend elected officials, uh, it's very clear to me that it does not really include anything criminal. Uh, certainly if you are the subject of a, of a complaint or a lawsuit uh, based on your, your conduct, um, or in the course of your duties, that's one thing. But this is really unprecedented, and and there actually is a precedent uh, in the past where we've actually had um, elected officials um, pay their own legal fees.
2: So have you had any discussion, Councillor Hedell, with other councillors about this?
4: Uh, Yes, yeah, Yeah. I've spoken to a few of my colleagues on this, um, uh, taken aback with it. Uh, but we know, with uh, the majority uh, that the mayor has on council, uh, they are fully uh, supportive of uh, of Mayor McCallum at this time and uh, paying for his legal fees.
2: And what kind of response are you getting from the public?
4: I got to tell you this. I mean, the uh, you know, you get the normal irregular uh, sort of emails people that are unhappy with uh, uh, with this mayor and and uh, the majority on council. Uh, but certainly after it was announced that uh, you know tax dollars are being uh, um, are being um, you know, being spent to pay for his defense, it just opened a whole flurry of people that we have another uh, heard from before, and uh, it, people are outraged. Uh, you know, and 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 every I think they have every reason to be outraged. Uh, you know, this is not what uh, the bylaw identification bylaw was set up for. Um, I'm probably getting about anywhere from probably six to eight emails uh, a day, uh, let alone all the contacts on social media from taxpayers that, that are just outraged that this is going on.
2: Right. So you didn't go to the meeting. And so you you don't know what was discussed there. Is that, mm-hmm. is that the best way to handle this though? Because isn't, wouldn't you rather be a part of this so that you do know what's happening? Um,
4: yeah, and, and the information from those closed meetings will be produced later in minutes. So I'll have an opportunity to look at those uh, and uh, and see exactly what was discussed or what wasn't discussed. But once again, it's one of the challenges around closed meetings. Uh, going in there could very simply be if they go in there and say, "Look, you know, uh, we're going to take a take a vote, and no one can talk or discuss about this," and essentially muzzled you from going to the public then at that point and actually talking about anything. So uh, there is a risk with that, no doubt about it. Um, but we have a, a, you know, a public meeting coming up on the 20th next Monday. And certainly I'll be expressing my views openly in a public forum about this.
2: And what about, what do you think about the petition that has been launched by the Surrey resident who is unhappy? And, and it sounds like thousands of people have signed this petition now about the city paying the, the mayor's legal bills.
4: You know, this is another example of... of of another segment uh, in our community, another uh, individual or group that's uh, completely upset with the course of action, Mayor McCallum. Um and this isn't the first petition we've had. We've had other petitions. We've had, uh, you know, we had almost fifty thousand people sign up initially with Keep the RCMP. Uh, You know, we had uh, I think it was forty-three thousand signatures with the um, Elections BC uh, Citizens Initiative. And now we have, uh, you know, the public online uh, signing petitions. So I think it just really speaks to the outrage. And, and really, I mean, I hope this captures the ear of the provincial government as well. Because, you know, every time we have an incident such as this, there's this public outrage over the behaviour of elected officials. But yet the community charter is uh, does need to be updated with um, really some refinements about what is proper code of conduct and what is... Code. So it creates an even playing field. And that's been echoed every time um, there's been incident. Uh, certainly at uh, every other ministry. Municipality as well uh, in right. similar situations.
2: I think you've just kind of hit the nail on the head there. That is, there is some frustration, I think, out there from people who say, you know what, we keep going through this, but nothing ever changes mm-hmm. because what can actually be done?
4: Yeah, and and I know when, um, uh, when uh, Councillor Locke announced uh, uh, even a few weeks ago that if elected for mayor, I mean, she'll be advocating hard uh, uh, next year um, if successful. Uh, to bring this forward uh, to the provincial government said, look, you need to really update this and and standardize this to, to what people's expectations of elected officials are today, not when this was written years ago.
2: Okay, so would you say that you would like the province to do something here?
4: Absolutely. I've written to the minister multiple times over the last three years uh, well, whichever minister were sitting in the seat at the time and saying, look, you need to really take a look at what's going on here in Surrey. And plus, you know, we do need to look at the community charter. It needs to be, um, updated to have a proper code of conduct around elected officials. Uh, certainly when I brought in the, um, ethics commissioner, uh, to this council and it was passed as a bylaw, the first one in Surrey. Um, but you know what, that's something that, perhaps should be elevated to the provincial level and allow all municipalities and cities to participate in the process of having an ethics commissioner.
2: Right. But what is it, what good is the ethics commissioner at this point? Because the ethics commissioner says they can't say anything here.
4: Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's, it's very, um, uh, you know, the bylaw was not really designed uh, for this, this type of behavior, which uh, certainly, you know, the community charter can be updated, which is a provincial legislation that should incorporate uh, something like this. And, and, and I, I I agree with the frustration of citizens that uh, even taking it to the ethics commissioner, uh, his hands are tied by the, you know, by the bylaw as well.
2: All right. Well, thank you very much for your time on this. Okay. Appreciate it. Jack Hundell is a Surrey city councillor talking about the number of closed-door meetings. Uh, He and other fellow councillor, Brenda Locke, said they weren't going to go to the most recent closed-door meeting because once you do and attend that, you are not allowed to speak publicly or talk about what happened in that meeting. And they wanted, it was like a form of protest for them to not do that. There's a lot of people who are concerned and upset by what has been going on in Surrey, especially in light of the news of uh, the mayor now facing a charge of public mischief and that the city taxpayers are going to be paying for the legal case uh, in that regards. I know if you want to weigh in, absolutely. Let's hear from you, Simi at CKNW.com.
1: This is Mornings with Simmy.
2: All right, let's talk about holiday baking, one of my very favourite subjects. I also like to bake and just give it all away, because having it at home can be dangerous. But maybe you've got a favourite family recipe you would like to share, like Margaret, who wrote me to say, My grandmother was an incredible baker, and one of our family favourites was made of honor tarts the past five years i've been baking them for my family especially my two brothers who love them as much as i do and she said i didn't have a recipe but i googled it found the recipe online margaret i did the same thing i had never heard of made of honor tarts before but there you go even mary berry had a recipe for these online so i absolutely love it uh So many great emails that I've been getting from people on this, but we thought let's talk about some holiday treats, shall we? Karen Gordon is with us, a Vancouver food blogger and Vancouver Sun columnist. You can find recipes and baking advice on her website, which is karentology.com, which I love. Karen, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you very much for having me. This is so exciting. It really is, because I love talking holiday baking. What are your favourites at this time of year?
5: Oh, gosh, I love... All of the traditional um, baking goods, you know, like shortbread and ginger snaps and butter tarts, um, butter cookies, peppermint bark, but I also like baking stuff that's sort of unexpected, um, and maybe not necessarily baking, but sort of you know as bakers because we sort of do like non-baked goods as well as baked goods. So I, I like sort of adding things in that is a little unexpected. Um, like last year, I made um, cookie butter. So I What? Extra cookies. Yes, it's extra cookies that you've got left over, and you literally turn them into a butter, and you can spread it on, like, toast or bagels or eat it straight out of the jar.
2: Okay, now I have extra cookies that I have left over after assembling my boxes, so tell me how do I make this cookie butter?
5: Oh, gosh. Essentially, I mean, you've got... Um, you mix the, the uh, cookie with a little bit of water on the stove to get it really nice and soft. And then essentially you mix in a little bit of butter into it and you can add in like molasses. If you're doing, you know, like a ginger snap um, type cookie butter and essentially you put it in the fridge and you take it out and then store at room temperature and you've got cookie butter, but you've got to really mix in the butter Uh, very slowly and then emulsify it so that it actually blends together as opposed to, you know, separating.
2: Right. Okay. So that sounds like a new, like a treat, right? At this time of year, like would you say that's like a new recipe?
5: It is. Well, it's sort of been around for, uh, I introduced it last year. um, And again, I I posted it on my Instagram account this year. And um, yeah, it's, it's relatively new,
2: but it's not new, new. Okay, I love this. Then, so where do you tend to get your recipes from, Karen?
5: Oh gosh, I get my inspiration from all over—from uh, TikTok, from Instagram, uh, just googling um, online. You know, surfing the web. Um, I get from all over the place. I've got friends that give me cookbooks. Um, so yeah, I'm like a sponge.
2: It sounds like it. So what would you say are some of the classic treats at this time of year that people love to bake? I've gotten a lot of recipes from people who say they're making tortillas, yeah. which sounds like that's a, like, I know it's more savory, but a lot of people have that mm-hmm. in their repertoire.
5: They do. They do. I tend to specialize, um, or I tend to focus on sweet treats only because I've got such a sweet tooth myself. So um, for me, around this time of year, it's definitely about, you know, the, um, quintessential Canadian treat, which is the butter tart, um, and also shortbread, ginger snaps. I I love making ginger snaps around this time of year, particularly anything that is snowflake shaped, um, because I, I just love decorating uh, snowflakes. So uh, that's really big for me, um, as well as sort of just some unexpected treats like um, a cranberry white chocolate crumb bar, for instance, and that's so delicious.
2: I'm sorry, run that by me again.
5: It's a cranberry white chocolate crumb bar. So it's a, a sugar cookie base. And then it's got a layer of like jammy uh, cranberry over top. And then there's white a layer of white chocolate chip and then more cookie crumbs and then more white chocolate chip. And it's baked. And you don't even need like equipment to actually make it. You, you rub it in with like your fingers, you know, to make the
2: cookie crumbs. Um, It's so good. So good. That sounds amazing. Now, what is your classic? Do you make a classic shortbread, too? I do. It's
5: just a really simple shortbread that I make, you know, just with, like, sugar and
2: butter and flour. You don't add the cornstarch or the rice flour in it? I know that's also a very traditional thing.
5: I do. Actually, I do. I do. At the uh, corn, a tablespoon of cornstarch in it. And my really big thing is almond essence
2: in addition to vanilla. Extract. Wait a minute. In your shortbread, Karen? Yes. You put almond extract, just a few little drops, in your shortbread? Just,
5: yes, just like half a teaspoon. It just brings out the flavor and in it. it's incredible.
2: I don't know. That feels kind of blasphemous to me. <laughs> <laughs> cuz I do that in our my sugar cookies but I'm like I don't know in my shortbread I would love to hear if people out there uh, also do the same thing. I think people this is a time of year for real tradition. Like what do you love about baking, Karen?
5: I I just get in that zone. Like it just it calms me down. It's um it's just fun. It's me time, right? Like it's it's my time and then I love baking and I love giving stuff away. I don't necessarily, I I mean, I'll try a couple pieces, but the joy is really from the art of making something and giving the stuff away after.
2: Okay, now you've got a recipe on your website Mm -hmm. and I like the title Mm -hmm. already. It's called the Best Cheat Butter Tarts. Why are they such a great cheat?
5: Oh my gosh, the reason is because they actually use a store-bought Uh, tart shell. So yes, you can make them from scratch, but, you know, making uh, a dough for for a tart shell takes time. And people around this time of year just have no time. There's so much going on. You know, you're working, you're trying to bake, you're going to, you know, you might get together with friends. So I just, what I do uh, for my butter tarts is I buy store-bought tarts and make this really super simple recipe that you essentially can make in a bowl with a fork and then you just pour them into the tart and bake. And literally they're so good um, and they're so easy. And I actually had a follower just make it the other day and she was so smart. She turned it into a no butter, butter tart because she's uh, dairy free and turned out perfectly for her.
2: Really? So you can, mm. is that flexible to do that? Yes, super easy. Okay, I'm going to have to try this. Do you get the sense, Karen, that more and more people are doing this, like baking at home is kind of like a comfort thing?
5: I definitely sense that. I mean, when I started, um, when I started blogging and, you know, being on Instagram a couple years ago, I, I didn't notice as many people, but the pandemic's definitely um, Change that people are staying home more, you know, they're finding time to spend time with their families and baking sort of a, a way of, you know, spending time with your family. I do this with my daughter uh, quite frequently, so, you know, it's a way of spending time.
2: Okay, let me ask you that I'm going to put you on the spot here with all the cookie recipes mm-hmm. that you've got on your Carantology website, which I love the name. What is oh, your you. favorite slash best cookie recipe?
5: Oh, gosh. them in so many different ways. They're all a little bit different. But my I would say that my go to recipe would have to be my ginger snaps. I make them every single year. I give them out every single year. Um, And if I don't give them out, people are disappointed.
2: Okay, I like this. I do the same thing. Karen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, you're welcome. Thank
5: you for having me. This was a lot of fun. It
2: was a lot of fun. That's Karen Gordon, Vancouver food blogger, Vancouver Sun food columnist. You can check out her website. It's karentology.com. Great. I love that name. But also she's got great recipes on there and super easy ones too. What I love in what I'm hearing from you this morning is the variety of recipes that people absolutely have to make. For instance, David in Surrey said for Christmas baking, his mom used to make walnut crescent rolls. She only made them at Christmas. Uh, His wife makes butter tarts. Seems like hundreds, he said. I think that's what it's like at my house too, right? Just endless amounts of Christmas baking. And Jim tells me almond shortbread is to die for. Well, I guess I'm going to have to try that, right? Put a few drops of almond extract next time I make some shortbread. Share a family recipe with me, simi at cknw.com.